Welcome to Open Plaza, a podcast created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. Each episode, we focus on a topic that matters to you, whether you're in the field, the academy, or the clergy. My name is Stephen Detrolio Coakley. Today, we bring you a conversation between Eric Barreto and Jacqueline Hidalgo about race, ethnicity, in the New Testament. For more information about today's talk, go to htiopenplaza.org. Hi, I'm Jacqueline Hidalgo. I am here with my friend and colleague, Eric Barreto. He is an associate professor of New Testament at Princeton Theological Seminary. Good to see you, Jackie. That's always, it's always good, good to, to talk you. to you. Yeah. We're here today to talk about your your work fundamentally on the study of race and ethnicity in the Bible and the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And I thought we could just start by learning a little bit about how you came to study this topic. How did you get interested in it? So one of my professors in my doctoral program once said that, like, every dissertation is deeply autobiographical. So I think it's a good place to start. So I was born um, outside of San Juan, Puerto Rico. Both my parents are Puerto Ricans. They met at the University of Puerto Rico. Um, But from age five, I went to school inside an American military base in San Juan. So from, you know, the first day of kindergarten involved me going to a school where I knew, I think, four words of English and everything else was English. It was pure immersion. So that from very early on in my life, it's been this wrestling with a question of identity. I think that is this daily question I've been wrestling with, whether it's elementary school and then we moved to uh, the mainland. We lived in Louisiana and in Kansas and in Missouri. And often my sister and I were the only Latinx kids in these schools. So there's always a question about belonging and what does it look like to be a part of a community, especially when you're no longer in that community, when you've been, um, whether it's, you know, because you go to a different school or now you're living in a different place. So that question about home, that question about place, that question about identity has always been. In my biography, I don't think I had the words to, to name that as I went along. And even in in my studies along the way, I think it took me a long time to retrospect figure out that's what I was doing I was wrestling with these questions that were deeply fundamental to who who I am who I was who I will be Um, so for me another big turning point was you know being a teenager and trying to fit into spaces where um, the way I looked and the, the traditions of my home and where I came from weren't something that were necessarily always valued and I don't think it was always a necessarily intentional or mean-spirited but I think sometimes we all of us lack the capacity to create space for someone whose story is different than our own so as a teenager you do your best just to fit in and fitting in meant I think often denying parts of who I was parts of where I came from Um, so I, I tell the story that you know my friends would eventually come up to me and put their arm around me and say you know Eric we don't even see you as Puerto Rican and as a teenager, right, you're just so happy. You just are so happy that somebody embraces you and loves you. And I think my friends were trying to be inclusive and loving, but they were only embracing part of me uh, and not all of who I was, and not all of, as a Christian, I would confess, all of who God made me to be. So all those stories were in the background and um, it, it, it inexorably led to these projects that we're wondering, what does the Bible have to say about race? Because I think in my experience, too, in the churches where I grew up, those were also spaces where 
um, my difference, my particularity wasn't necessarily something valued or treasured. It was just sometimes a problem to overcome or like uh, an optional part of my own story uh, and not critical and central to who, who I was. So wrestling with my faith, my identity, my story, all these things kind of came together in the work. You know, I'm going to ask a question, though. Why the Bible yeah. to think about these issues? Yeah, I think because... So I was growing up in um, in Southern Baptist churches. I had these encounters, these experiences with, with God. I had these encounters, experiences with the Spirit, often mediated through the text of Scripture, through these stories. And I think if... I, again, going back to me growing up, I always loved reading. I loved storytelling. I love the way that stories open up the world to us, and, you know, create new possibilities for us. That stories weren't just about, they were about delight. They were about entertainment, but they were also about imagining something new. So for me, part of it was wrestling with my faith always meant wrestling with, with scripture because that's how it's how it had functioned and still functions for me, that it's this... Uh, critical space for imagination and also critical space where God can speak to us. And um, and then when I do my work, it's it's to a lot of communities where the Bible has this authority. So you can come in and say anything. Um, if you can find a way, right, to say, this isn't just me saying something new or something PC or something that we've decided, but something that is rooted deeply in the story that, that God and God's people have been telling for a long time, then there's a persuasive power in that uh, because we've invested authority and a lot of Christian communities have invested authority in these particular texts. So these questions are in the back of your mind, both this interest in the authority of the Bible and, and an interest in the storytelling power of the Bible, yeah. but also these issues and tensions around um, belonging yeah. in community. So how did uh, how did you go about studying these things yeah. together. Yeah, I think it took me a long time to figure this out. I think um, I, I was in schools where the questions about biblical scholarship are really important. And oftentimes those those ways of doing biblical scholarship bracketed questions of identity. They said that they were secondary or even ter- or not even part of, of the work, right? There was the text and there was history and that was plenty to work with, I think, in a lot of those spaces. Or that you should actually specifically ignore. Right, right. That, 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 that it's a problem yeah. to think about it, period. Yeah, that who yeah. you are is an obstacle, right? Yeah. It's it's something to set aside and not something that can be a resource, a tool in, mm-hmm. in the reading of Scripture. Um, so, yeah, it took me a long time to get around to that. And part of it was in seminary um, finding two books of, of people whose last names sounded like mine and realizing, oh, there are other people who do this. So... It was Justo Gonzalez's book. <laughs> I want to know who are these two books. <laughs> so I remember vividly, like, um, I don't even know how I came across them. I don't know if I was just, like, browsing the shelves or somebody mm-hmm. told me. I don't remember. Justo Gonzalez has a book called Mañana. Mm-hmm. It's about, um, it's a really early and really powerful attempt to do something. I think he calls it Hispanic theology at that point. Mm-hmm. Now we're switching terms. Uh, but there was this resonance. I remember he, he writes that. Um, for Latinx people, we have the blood of the conquered and the conqueror running through us. And that kind of non-innocent history, that imagination really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other book was Fernando Segovia's uh, Decolonizing Biblical Studies. And what I remember most about that book, he's got a lot of beautiful theory and stuff that I still use all the time, but it was the stories he told about being a Latino man in biblical scholarship. And in those stories, I heard glimpses of what I had experienced thus far. 
And after that, it was reading people like Alamaria Sazidias and Muerista theology, just these, these, these texts where our stories were at the center of the work. And there was no apology had to be given for it, no need to explain, explain it, but to say this is, uh, this is part of who we are, this is what we bring to the study of these texts, this is what we bring to the study of theology. Uh, and we're going to boldly place it at the center and see see what we discover. Well, and partially, you know, I'd also would imagine it was it was also about a kind of rising awareness mm-hmm. that the bracketing of identity in the mainstream biblical studies texts meant that the identity was still there. Yeah, it was right. just under described. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't absent. It That's didn't right. go away. Yeah. Um, so how did you kind of take that realization then and start to really research, okay, now I'm going to return to studying the Bible and thinking about questions of identity, especially race and ethnicity. So I became enamored with the book of Acts for lots of different reasons. And there was something, again, about that storytelling power in that text. Um, It's a text in the church where I grew up that was treated like a like a blueprint for putting together the perfect church instead of like a really cool story or really set of a set of really cool stories so it was that text and then i knew i wanted to ask these questions about race and ethnicity but i didn't quite know how to ask them where to ask them where to land um in biblical studies often it's so hard to be like do you do you focus on a verse, on a chapter, on a whole book? There's all these big questions we have to ask. And it was my advisor who helped me land. He first suggested doing a couple of chapters in the book of Acts. But I got stuck in just on one chapter, in chapter 16. And what I saw there was the author of Acts wrestling with these questions of identity, negotiating what they might be. Um, especially, I think, I saw there a lot of hybrid characters that looked a lot like my story. So can you back up? Yeah. Me? Tell me the story. Yes, What's of course. going on in Acts 16? Why, why would this no, story Not everybody has this memorized. <laughs> yeah. So in Acts 16, it starts with, so back up one step. Acts 15 has the apostolic council. Um, the early Jesus followers are wrestling with whether or not Gentiles or Greeks can be a part of these, these new communities. Early in the book of Acts, it's all, it's all Jews, Judeans, Yudaioi, who are parts of these communities. Let's maybe start with what is the Acts of the Apostles, right? So Acts of the Apostles is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Same author who wrote the Gospel of Luke probably wrote the Acts of the Apostles. It picks up from the ascension of Jesus, and it's 28 chapters of stories about these early communities of Jesus followers trying to figure out what it means to live together and be together. Um, They share possessions. That all gets messed up. They uh, they go all over the world, right? So Jesus uh, calls the disciples in chapter 1, verse 8, to go to the ends of the earth. And a lot of that happens in that text. They go to all these cities around the Mediterranean world, uh, encountering all sorts, of, all, all sorts of forms of difference, religious difference, ethnic difference. Um, so for me, the book is fundamentally um, not a blueprint for putting together the perfect church, but about what it looks like when God's people enter spaces where God has called them, but you have to figure out what it looks like to actually be in those spaces. You can't just come in and start preaching whatever you want or whatever you want to say, but to think about the local um, the local color, the local particularity, the way that Athens is different than Philippi, so all these different cities along the way. Um, in Acts 16, where I focus my work, is 
where uh, it starts in this really odd thing where, where Paul circumcises one of his followers, one of the people going along with him, his name is Timothy. And it's a strange story because in other places in the letters of Paul, Paul says that he wouldn't, he wouldn't do something like this. And yet here is Timothy, this, um, this young man who's both Greek and Jewish. His mother is Jewish. His father is Greek. Uh, and Paul has him circumcised. And so one of my questions I had is, so what is he afterwards? Because Timothy's never given an ethnic title. We just know his father's Greek, his mother is Jewish. Um, but Luke leaves that, I think, unresolved. He's this hybrid character. He's in between. Um, and he's, those sides of his identity, those two parts of his story are not resolved. They're not, you know, he doesn't have to pick one or the other. I think in that text, and what I think is striking about that is that everywhere else where, where Luke is describing the shape of the church or the whole world, he divides it between Jews and Greeks. So here you have Timothy in his body, embodying the the breadth of humanity, the breadth of these communities of Jesus followers. Um, and then the other story at the end that I love is this: uh, the first time, uh, or one of the many prison breaks in the Book of Acts, um, Paul heals this mantic slave girl kind of offhand uh, he gets himself in trouble with local business people and they start yelling about how these they, they basically say these jews are asking us romans to do things we're not allowed to do they throw them into jail there's a jailbreak you know it's this very axe story where all it's like it feels like you're watching the fast and the furious instead of reading a bible book and at the end paul comes out of prison and says claims to be a roman Right? And a lot of the translations say Roman citizen, mm. but I was trying to argue in the book, in my work, that he's not just claiming certain legal rights. He's not saying you have to treat me differently because I'm a citizen, but he's saying that he's actually a Roman, uh, which is precisely what these business people were accusing him of not being. So again, here's another hybrid character. He's both Jewish and Roman, and Axe doesn't seem to try to resolve that. What I eventually concluded is that what we have in the book of Acts is a book that doesn't want to homogenize our differences, doesn't, isn't interested in making us all the same, that there's an imagination embedded in there, that to be a follower of Jesus doesn't mean leaving behind whatever identity you brought with you, that that identity is, is precious, is part of the story. And especially if you bring a couple different stories with you, that that's also not a problem either in these communities. You don't have to change your story. You don't have to leave your stories behind. These stories are part of the way that God shows up in our midst. Yeah. And that, and I'd say that part of your work is pointing to the fact that um, whatever we mean by resolution mm -hmm. doesn't have to mean that people jettison part of who yeah. they are. Yeah. In that, that that identity doesn't have to be a zero sum game. Like yeah. I'm either this or that. Right. Which I think is a very especially American, you know, U.S. American sense, right? That you have to be one thing. It's something that we've inherited. And I think it's something that biblical scholars inherited. They can't imagine that Paul would be Jewish and Roman or that Timothy could be Greek and Jewish still. I think in the same way, it's hard for too many biblical scholars to imagine that we can be Puerto Rican and a biblical scholar and that that Puerto Rican-ness can both be a part of what it means to be a scholar, uh, but also... <laughs> I think sometimes the assumption is like if you're a Puerto Rican biblical scholar, then Puerto Rican comes first, right? And then the rest of us are like just biblical scholars, you know? Uh, but that all these things, all these identities can be held in this creative and vibrant tension. What are the implications 
not only for biblical scholars in realizing that our identities are multiple, but what are also the implications for young Eric in, in a church in Missouri? Yeah. I think for biblical scholars, I think what I worry about is that so many of us are missing the richness of what's possible, the richness of the stories we bring. So when I go and speak at churches, um, especially dominant majority culture churches, they'll ask me, like, so what are we supposed to do with this? And I say, well, first thing to do is to learn your stories. I think one of the tragedies of white supremacy, among many, is that it's actually stripped away from white communities a sense of place and identity, a a sense that they came from somewhere and from some people. Um, So I would love for biblical scholars and people in general just to know their stories more, more vibrantly, to know them. Not so that we can isolate ourselves from one another, but precisely knowing your story, it lets you be open to the stories of other people. Uh, so I think for biblical scholars, knowing their stories, I think will only, only produce better scholarship, more ethical scholarship, scholarship that actually has something to say to the things happening today. Um, and not only that, I think knowing our stories then helps us realize the limits of our knowledge, <clears throat> to know that our story isn't the only story, that uh, the story of the... Um, of the, the straight scholar, of the abled scholar, of the of whatever ethnicity scholar is not the only story we, we can bring to these texts. Um, and therefore, we turn to one another with some sense of curiosity and hope that what other people have to share isn't just another thing to know, uh, but maybe exactly the place where we find that insight that we've been looking for, that part of our story that's been missing or that we can't fully understand. It sometimes takes the story of other people to, to help us find it. Um, when I think about my young self, um, I don't know. It's so hard because I, I, I wouldn't have gotten where I am without going through those yeah, painful experiences. But my hope would be that there would be churches and communities and schools where the stories that people bring aren't obstacles on the way to unity or aren't some problems, some puzzle we need to solve. But what if they were the very core of our strength, as whether as a church or a school or a community, that we turn to our one another's stories with expectations, with with hope, with curiosity, that um, that these stories aren't just detachable, aren't alternatives, but they're who we are as people together. Um, and yeah, I think I would just want to tell young Eric, just just keep going, and this stuff. I think part of the Part of the story of identity is, is struggle and it's pain. And I don't, I don't know if there's a way around it, but hopefully there's people walking alongside us to tell us that that pain is temporary or that that pain is leading to somewhere or that, or that that pain maybe could be understood differently because sometimes people don't understand us for who we really are. So because I'm a nerd the way I am, I just want to say <laughs> that Eric just very beautifully and eloquently summarized some several key points that come up in uh, Latino, Latina, Latinx biblical criticism and theologies. Mm-hmm. He just summarized uh, our a, a commitment to particularity that yeah. sees it as a grounds for richer connection, not mm-hmm. as a source of division that mm-hmm. keeps people from being able to talk to each other. Right. Actually, it provides richer connection than a pretend a pretended universalism. And then he also pointed to a uh, commitment that comes out of the work of Las Hermanas, which was a, a, 
Latina feminist religious organization mm. um, and whose writings are probably best known through the work of Ada Maria Sassidias, mm. which is the argument that we're all in a kind of transformative struggle. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a matter of knowing that that struggle is is yeah. going somewhere. It's the meaning we, we yeah. make of it. And two, that that struggle is about everyday stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not about locking yourself up in a room somewhere and writing, but how that writing, how that scholarship, how that teaching is um, interlaced with these everyday daily experiences, uh, especially those stories of, of pain and loss. And then no one can completely disentangle themselves yeah. from yeah. the the materialities of daily yeah, life exactly. that surrounds them. Yeah. And that maybe disentangling ourselves is is to lose ourselves. Is the the that call to leave aside our identities is a call to dehumanization, which is the very opposite way that we should be going. Well thank you, Eric. That was a really uh, beautiful and moving place to end. Well, I appreciate uh, learning from you today. Well thanks for chatting with me, Jack. It's always good to talk to you. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides these podcasts as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.